When I first started my business, I remember somebody telling me once, I didn't even have anything. It wasn't even like I had a product at the time. And he's like, I know I'm going to see you on Forbes one day. And I was like, yeah, right. Like, I'm right. It's just like a protest photo site. And then when I got on it, I like remembered what he said. And I was like, well, I guess things do come true. So just keep working and you'll be surprised where it takes you. Hello, welcome back to Working Girl Talk. I'm your host, Abby Zufel. Thank you so much for joining me today. Super excited to have you. This is going to be a fun episode. I hope your week has been going well, especially during this time. Last weekend, I actually virtually attended the Create and Cultivate uh, Money Summit, which I'm sure a lot of you did too. It was online and just a lot of these different classes and speakers in a virtual setting. So kind of similar to one of their events, but all online, which was super cool to see. I bring it up just to kind of shout out and I I was just really inspired that a company that is all in-person events could transition to online like that and do it so seamlessly and still make it an awesome event. So I just love seeing what people are doing because this is a weird time as we've talked about before and there is actually still a lot of good going on and a lot of good ideas and innovation and it's super cool to see and I know they're going to be doing some other events coming up. So if you are interested in kind of like those self-improvement, inspiration, hearing from different like women leaders, um, definitely go check out their stuff because it was super awesome. Great insights. Let's get into our typical episode routine. Let's start with this week's news because there are some big headlines. First, we're going to start with something that you may have noticed. Google Meet is here, a video call service formerly known as Hangouts Meet, which itself was an offshoot from Google Hangouts, so kind of like a rabbit hole here. So Google Meet has arrived. So this is their answer to compete with Zoom, Skype, any of those things for business calls like those video calls. So as they announced, anyone with a Google account can make calls with up to 100 people for up to one hour. The option to do so will appear on the sidebar, like I said, where one can start a meeting and invite and invite participants in a pop-up browser window. It's fast and there's a dial-in and a pin and they're provided immediately or you can join an existing meeting using a code. So very similar to Zoom, Skype, like I said. So it's kind of funny because everything I saw about this was kind of pointing a finger at Google as in like, um, this is a little late, like where has this been? And it is kind of true, like this, it's sad that they're rolling it out now, whereas if they would have done this maybe two months ago, it might have had a better success. And I mean, there's still time. I'm sure people are using it and it will be used, but it is funny because we've kind of already established that Zoom is like the primary one that people are using, which is interesting in itself because of all the security issues that Zoom has had, but no one really seems to care, which is interesting. I mean, like just because so big organizations, universities are using Zoom and yeah, that's it. Like there's not really like you never hear about the concerns that much. So this is an interesting answer. We'll see if Google Meet um, actually survives. If you want to test it out, go test it out. It's free on your Gmail account. Um, for up to one hour. So Google is trying and we'll see. I mean, there have been a lot of Google projects that have come and gone. So we'll see what happens to Google Meet. (laughs) On that note, let's keep talking about Google because Google did a big thing this week. They announced their core update, which they actually do several times a year. They make changes to their search algorithm and systems and they refer to them as core updates. And they're designed to ensure that overall they're delivering relevant and authoritative content to searchers. They always make it clear, and they actually released a blog in August 2019 to help like explain why they do this and how it works. So they just because your page maybe goes down in ranking or some of your your website in general, it doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with your pages or that you've violated their guidelines, anything like that. And keep in mind, this is coming from Google. So they, I will say they do want to make you feel confident putting stuff out there. Like they don't want you to give up, I guess. So they're trying to put a positive spin on it. That's just my take. So, but I think there's like some value in like knowing that as well that they're saying, it's not like you violated anything. Um, They're just improving their 
systems and they want to improve content overall to make sure it's like the best content when people are searching different questions and queries. And if you're putting your best content out there, cool, you have nothing to worry about. But I like that they, in that same blog post when they were explaining it from August 2019, they did explain, like they gave a great analogy of how this actually like works. So they said, think of a core update as if you made a list of the top 100 movies in 2015. A few years later in 2019, you refresh the list. It's going to naturally change. Some new and wonderful movies that never existed before will now be candidates for inclusion. You might also reassess some films and realize they deserved a higher place on the list than they had before. The list will change, and films previously higher on that list that moved down aren't bad. There are simply more deserving films that are coming before them. I love that analogy. It's such a great way to think about it. So it just it's just a whole, it's a facelift, a, fa- a refresh. Google is just assessing all the new content out there to make sure that the best stuff is being served. And Search Engine Journal actually reported on some of the stuff that they think is going to change. And again, this is kind of like theory at this point because it's so new. We haven't really felt the full effects of it yet. But if you look at your analytics, you may see some like up and down, like when it comes to your organic search traffic. So Search Engine Journal predicted that a partial list of what areas are being affected are local search businesses, health-related sites, they know it's rolling out worldwide, and they um, multiple languages are affected simultaneously. So that's like their four things that they think like what's being affected right now. But it is important to wait until the search results settle down before making any changes to your website. So don't be freaking out now. Like the best thing you can do is watch your analytics and keep an eye out for sites that are winners. So if you have a like a query that like you always try to rank for, like say you're a business website or a career web, a career website, best resume tips or something, um, keep an eye on that, like what you want to be ranking for and see what is in the current spot now and kind of keep checking like is something going to be in the current number one spot in a few weeks why did that one change like kind of look at who's actually turned going into that number one spot what are they doing to kind of assess what google is liking right now which again like there's no like secret formula to this seo is definitely a game on trying to figure out what google likes there's definitely a lot of help out there but something like this where they're not giving too many specific details it's kind of just a waiting game to see what ends up being number one trying to understand why those sites are succeeding and then if you are noticing dips don't panic google said that themselves search engine journal said that i'm saying that don't panic let this all calm down because it will be a few weeks before it finally settles and i say too keep looking at your google search console if you have that set up on your website connected to your google analytics keep watching that too to see where your ranking falls in certain terms and queries to see if you're being shown more or less all that good stuff really what google is all about i'll end it with this that they are all about good content so in this like report that search engine journal did on this they said thin content will not survive and obviously that's kind of like a prediction but that's also something that's been true that if it's just very blatant you're trying to answer a query and show up for and that's it like it's not like full it's not storytelling it's not long it's not um built out like it probably won't do it probably won't do as well so think about it that way like are you providing a service for people are you really answering a question and providing value and it's interesting because this is kind of like a bigger picture when it comes to social media and the whole like digital marketing world in general are you really providing value for people and good information because that at the end of the day is what google is all about yes there's little like tips and tricks but google is getting smarter and the days of doing little like cheat codes of, oh, I'm going to put uh, the keyword I want to rank for all over the page. So Google thinks it's about that, but I'm just going to change the font so you can't see or the font color so you can't see it. Like people have done like weird tricks for a long time and to get things to rank better. And that stuff is not going to be working anymore. And I mean, we've already seen the effects of, of like what they call black hat SEO not working. So I would keep that in mind. Keep an eye on your search console, have like a content strategy. I've talked about it in an episode like in an early episode about an SEO content strategy like things you can do to help your website with SEO today and do those things install an SEO plugin if you don't have one keep that going have a content strategy like following what your search console says 
But really, I would say the most important thing is to provide value. In that August 2019 blog, they did release a, release a list of questions to ask yourself before publishing content, which is actually pretty cool. Just an example of some of the questions. It says, does the content provide original information, reporting, research, or analysis? Does the content provide a substantial, complete, or comprehensive description of the topic? Would you expect to see this content in or referenced by a printed magazine, encyclopedia, or book? Book. Is this the kind of page you'd want to bookmark, share with a friend, or recommend? So really what they're getting down to is the user experience, so making sure your website is built out, and the content itself. Is it providing value? Is it answering a question? Is it the expert? So think about that. I think when you're making content, the surface level content I really don't think will survive. And again, this is all very preliminary. This is just going back from what Google has said in the past. And I really think because if they're trying to get just the best like content showing up for queries, how would that not still be true? They just want like good quality content. So be thinking about that. And if you do have questions, I'd refer to that blog post from 2019. So just type in Google Webmaster Central Blog and see what it says. Provide good content, provide value. And as of right now, Search Engine Journal says it's affecting local search businesses. So local searches, which makes a lot of sense. So if you're searching local restaurants, hopefully that experience will be a lot better. Um, Health-related websites, it's rolling out worldwide and multiple languages are affected. So I'll follow up on this as we learn more and what like people are saying about it. But don't panic right now. That's all I got to say. Don't panic. Just keep an eye out for the winners and try to understand why they're succeeding. Keep looking at your search console and provide value. Boom. <laughs> okay, next stories. That was all over the place, but we made it through. Next story. According to a new study at cordcutting.com, there are now 44 million U.S. adults who are mooching, quote unquote, a streaming service subscription right now. Specifically, the number of moochers is going up for Netflix and Amazon Prime Video. Are you guilty of this? Do you use somebody else's account to watch your shows? Maybe you do, maybe you don't. <laughs> the streaming services haven't cracked down on password sharing yet, despite the potential revenue loss being a being attributed to mooching, according to TechCrunch. So this example they gave is really interesting. So they said if Netflix were to charge everyone who's mooching for their own account, it could generate an estimated $356 million in additional membership fees per month. Combined, the top four streaming services, Netflix, Prime, Hulu, and Disney+, Plus, could generate $2.72 billion in revenue from subscription fees if they were able to get all the, the moochers to pay. Wow, isn't that interesting? So a lot of people are sharing passwords, but if you are, I guess you're not you're not alone because there's a lot of lot of people, 44 million to be exact, doing it with you. I guess we'll see if they end up cracking down in the future. I would imagine they would. It's kind of sad though because it's such a nice thing to be able to share accounts with people, but we'll see. Okay, that is it for our news today, and I'm super excited to get into this week's episode with our Working Girl Talk guest. Christina Hawatma. She is the founder of Scopio, a photo marketplace of over 200,000 images from over 150 countries. Anyone can submit great images and make money. They filter, curate, and tag with artificial intelligence to make it super easy and have thousands of creatives building the next generation of ideas and businesses with diverse images. Over 12,000 businesses are making things like Amazon books from, from front to back, Spotify albums, Etsy shops, blogs, personal sites, nonprofits, video ads, documentaries, so on with all of their images. Their company made it on the Forbes 30 under 30 list. I love her story and I know you will too. It's We have an awesome conversation about usage rights, starting a tech company, working with artificial intelligence, and so much more. I'm super excited for you to listen. Welcome, Christina Hawatma. Okay, welcome to Working Girl Talk, Christina. So excited to have you. Excited to be here and look forward to your questions. Yay! Okay, so first off, maybe for my listeners that may not know who you are about your company, can you just do like a brief intro? We're going to get into all like the details, but brief intro, who you are, what you do. Yeah, I'm Christina Hawatma. I'm the founder and CEO of Scopio, the largest library of authentic photos. 
We have a marketplace of over 200,000 images that have been submitted from more than 150 countries where anybody can uh, submit images and make money on the side. Um, and businesses come and use images to create, to get inspired, um, and to build their businesses, uh, where we have over 13,000 businesses that uh, use Scopio. And uh, we use artificial intelligence and machine learning and the way we search and process the images, making it easier for anybody to contribute and sell their content. Amazing. So cool. So before we get into where you are now, I want to go back in time a little bit. Can you tell us yeah. about like where you grew up, your childhood? Did you always kind of have that entrepreneurial spirit? Yeah, they always ask that either <laughs> entrepreneurs are born or they're made. I was always creative, I think, and off the beaten path, which is like, which I think to me now is entrepreneurial skills. But at the time it was like, I love to do projects. Um, so like my mom always says, I used to find you in the closet, like cutting things and creating like stories. And um, so that creativity, I think when you see that in a child now, I would recognize that where before you're like, oh, they just like to do arts and crafts. Really, they're trying to build things. And that could be an internet company one day, like I did, or it could be something um, smaller that they enjoy. So I believe that part of the creative uh, process, actually going through it is, is really valuable. Um, and I would encourage more people to actually have an idea and just do it, whatever it is. Um, and I grew up in St. Louis, Missouri. My parents are immigrants from Jordan. They're doctors. Um, I grew up with three sisters. Uh, so I was in a, and, and, uh, all girls household. And, uh, and then I had a journey that took me across the world and ended me ultimately at Columbia, uh, in New York for grad school. Uh, where I have in invented this idea, which to me was a fun project, uh, a concept. But then I got so obsessed with um, obsessed with the opportunity that I could make an impact in the world, which is through changing perceptions and stereotypes through imagery. And um, and that at the time was so small. It was just about uh, organizing and filtering images based off of protests from Twitter and Instagram. So like uh, the Arab Spring, Black Lives Matter, there were protests in Venezuela. And I was like, these images are amazing. Everybody should see them. Why are they just stuck here? How can I get them so that people can actually see them and use them? Um, so that's where Scopio, which stands for Scope, Scope It Out, came from. Very cool. So let's, <laughs> dive, let's dive into your time at Columbia and how this idea actually came about. So you're seeing all these images on social media. How did it actually come to fruition? Because I'm sure what it is now is different, way different than what it was initially. Yeah, it is like, I think the biggest misconception in building businesses or in tech is that your idea actually is what happens in the end. So if we, again, started businesses with the concept that this is going to change over and over again, have its own life, then that would be much easier to handle. Because when I started, I was like, this is my idea. And then it just like kept changing, changing, changing. And you're like, it's almost like you're just managing it, but it's just growing where it wants to grow. And that's from market forces, from the people that you meet that push you forward. Um, and uh, that, that to me is such an interesting experience because when I had thought of this, um, I just did like a pitch competition. There was this small pitch competition and everyone was like, what a good idea. And I was like, yeah, this is. So then I would just kept kind of working it on it on the side. And then every time I would have a paper that would give me leniency. I would write about this subject. Every time I had like a presentation, I would talk about this. So I became super hyper-focused on the subject area. And I was like, why are, why can't we find these photos? Why are they stuck on Instagram? Like, why don't, how, what op image options do we have? So I just kept going with it and then figuring out how a business could work throughout that, uh, with that idea. And um, that's the really exciting part of starting a venture, of course, because you're like, wow, everything's new and exciting. But what I did, I think that set me apart and like gave me that like leap was that um, I got an opportunity to work for a venture capital firm. So I worked for a seed stage firm and they invested money, but they also invested engineering resources for businesses. So I got to see their whole portfolio, how their businesses were running, the big ones. I got to learn how they were building their apps and websites like I would watch the engineers 
and visit the sites of the businesses. And then I would ask questions about my business plan. So that gave me like a, an understanding of how I could frame it. And then when I had gone back for my second year of school, then I was like, you know, what? I'm going to do this. Uh, I really believe in this as an opportunity. And that's when I really delved into the business part of it. Like, how do I start a business? And, um, and then would find resources and people that would be able to help me frame that. And that's how it started. Very cool. So were you studying tech or something in that field? Or was this kind of something way different than what you were actually studying? Yeah, I was studying, I was in the international affairs school and I was studying technology policy. So at that time I was really interested in how like governments and people talked online. Like now we're like Twitter is all politics. And I was like, what are the rules? And I had weirdly been like studying that for like three years before in my undergrad about Facebook groups and how people go and join Facebook groups and they go to like a protest or, or they go create an event. And I was like, Oh, there's like this connection. So it was like always a research, super, super interesting thing for me, but I never thought I would have a career based off of that subject ever. Gotcha. <laughs> and then how, so now you do have a co-founder. So how did that come about? So I started for about, um, I think like a year and a half, I was by myself and it was just basically me going around the university, asking engineers, asking business people, trying to make this thing like happen while I had all of these free resources. And then I was like, I had only the tech part of it. So we only, I only had a database that would search Twitter at the time for hashtags to find photos. And I was like, I need a designer to show what, like, I have nothing online. So I randomly, I went to a conference at Parsons School of Design. And, um, and I met this, this guy that was like on the faculty. And I was like, I have this business and I am looking for somebody to design the site for me. Uh, can you put an internship request out? Like in full confidence, like, uh, because I really believed in it. And he sent it out and my business partner now, responded right away and she's like I love this idea I, I'm a photographer and I'm so into protests and I, these photos are amazing and um, so we started working together when she was in grad school and then when she finished a year later I was like you are staying with me we're making this happen um, so luckily she believed in it and we had the support at the time of something called Columbia Startup Lab which I got into right when I graduated which is a year of co-working space where they like bring people to talk to you and stuff. And it's like a cheaper co-working space. So it was easier for me to then just like doing it by myself in my apartment. I had the space and for her, it was also like easier to get into that. So we had a year to kind of come up with how we we're going to make this happen during that year. Gotcha. Very cool. And then how, so at this time when you're first starting out, are you actually getting like submissions from photographers yet? Or is this kind of just curating content? Yeah, at that time we had just built a search engine to search hashtags. So we would search like Black Lives Matter and then we would find all the images that were coming from Twitter and Instagram through they, their APIs. Um, and then what we had built was, uh, and I had found partners to help me with this, was to curate uh, the images. So if something was like an advertisement or a cartoon or like those things that always like run around, we would clean those out. So it would just be the original photos that we searched for. So we got up to 60 million photos like that. Wow. And we were like, it doesn't matter because we don't have the rights to use them or distribute them. So they were just like stuck. <laughs> <laughs> so how did you get over that hurdle then? Like, was that like just reaching out to everybody or like, what's the next step there? So we had some interesting pilots at the time. We got like Thomson Reuters, we had Google, we had a bunch of really big companies that were using this search system. And, but then we couldn't figure out like how to move forward with that. And then if I ever meet a, an executive at Twitter, I like have so much beef with them because <laughs> they, their API is so expensive. So when we're in a pilot with Thomson Reuters, they did one search that cost me $6,000 just to search a hashtag. Wow. And I was like, I'm like a broke student. I don't have anything. Like, and, but at the time we had like a little seed funding and I was like, I can't build a business like this, like without raising $60 million right now. And it was like really frustrating because we really believed in that search. Um, but then we were like, you know what, at the end of the day, people just want the photos. They just want to be able to use them. 
So why can't we just get people to submit photos to us? And then we'll just tag them and title them and use the AI that we have to just make them visible. Then people can search. And that way we can just build a library that forever we can be like, a, in my head, it was like a library. So in a hundred years, people can come back and they can see all these images and use them. And that was more valuable to me than um, what we had been doing. And my business partner thought the same. So then we said, okay, let's just everyone that we've talked to tell them to come to our website and people did right away. And we were growing really fast in terms of people coming and submitting and showing us what they wanted to submit, not just what we wanted them to submit, you know? That's really cool. And then can we talk about like the submission process for any like photographers out there that may not know how that works? And because it sounds like just like the research I've done that your process is actually way easier than some of the other ones. Like you guys kind of do some of the heavy lifting after they do submit photos. Can you kind of talk about that process? Yeah, so in, in stock photography, they there used to be the way it was set up was that they would do like photo shoots and then they would uh, hire models like to sit around an office and then you'd like be working and those mainly were going on print magazines so the images the way they're structured and the way that they were like tagged and titled were made for that distribution but now we have millions of businesses even like you for your podcast or anyone that has a small business or an idea needs photos right you're on pinterest you're creating boards um, and you need fresh images that match your audience or else you look like out of touch. So uh, meanwhile, think, you know, we're, thank goodness we already have all this content. It's like we take more photos than in all of history combined every year. So the tagging we felt and the license part was like kind of old school. So, so we're like, instead of people understanding like copyrights and licenses and where these photos can be used and also how to tag your image and make it more um, available, let's do that ourselves and just make this simple so that anybody around the world, whether or not you know English, whether or not you know how to sell your images, can do that. So you just go to Scopio's website, you submit the photos that you have, you can submit more anytime, there's no limits. And then we, um, you send a link out to anyone that's in the photo, that gives us the right to sell like Abby's likeness and that way she knows that her image is being distributed, which is basically the main difference between stock photography and non is that you're getting those permissions. And, um, and then that image goes and it gets titled and tagged and curated and put up on the website where businesses can then search and use that photo. So it takes like a, a long step process and really shortens it for the user right now. That is so cool. And I think that is a huge help because in this digital age, content is king. And yeah. I think, oh yes, yeah. <laughs> king, queen, all. Um, but yeah, like content is powerful and we all need content no matter what kind of business we run. And yeah. I think sometimes people get into the mindset of, oh, I need to do it all of myself and there aren't any yeah. good options. And something I really think it's cool that you guys do is that emphasis on diversity and getting images from around the world. Because I just remember like looking at different like stock options, like even a few years ago it'd be just like the same cheesy guy like it's just like yeah, it's doing weird. different things yeah like it was just like the same person same outfit just different like weird poses and it's like hey that has nothing to do with my business <laughs> um but can you talk kind of can you talk to uh the diversity element and the i guess more like realistic and like the emphasis you guys put on those things yeah so that's our number one emphasis is that again for the first time ever no matter where you are you have an opportunity to build a business, right? You have an opportunity to grow besides a few like really difficult scenarios, but generally the internet has leveled the playing field for us. So there's no reason why talent can't be used no matter where you are. And we felt that was a huge problem in the industry, especially with things like the woman eating salad, like all those stereotypes that now don't exist anymore. So, um, so that's where our perspective came from with that. And that's why we had built all these different things to make it easier for anyone around the world to submit, but also to value that. So it, you know, if you're looking for an image of an apple, you know, it could be, it could come from Nigeria. Like, why do you, why would you care? And we have some beautiful ones that are like with people with apples on their heads like that. Um, and that just, it just goes to show their creativity. And I think empowering these people to realize that they can also, they're also building their businesses, they're making money. You know, the US dollar, for example, is really strong. So if a photographer in Brazil is submitting their image, 
then they'll be making money that maybe is even more than their current income. So leveling that and being able to pay photographers around the world is something I'm very excited about, especially as we can see the business growing and what that can do for these, for people around the world and for art in general, you know, creativity. Um, and then same on the, the buyer side, these creatives are, you know, it's like kind of like melds all together. Um, but one thing I really urge people to do is, so we in the submissions, a lot of times people are creating what they think other people want. So like an a image of a pretty woman on a beach. There's so many of images like that. Like we see them on our Instagram feeds all the time, but like getting an image of you right now, running your podcast, that's hard. So we always like encourage, like, show us your real life. Try to bring these elements out. Show us your mom, show us your grandfather, show us your kids. Like we want to see real life content versus what we, I feel like we've been really peer pressured in this like perfect image, which we don't necessarily like, it doesn't really serve us all the time. So that's where I say like authenticity is important versus um, that's that, still that staging that we do. That's so cool because I like if I had a photo of you on your podcast, that would be like my number one seller right now. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's so cool because I think right now when a lot of people think about stock photography, they don't associate it with authenticity or real life. It's just like that studio moment. So like what a cool concept to be trying to break that down. And that's what people actually need. So I love it. That's super cool. Yeah, it's, we need like people, yeah, people can participate and that's what we're really trying to get the message out. So it's not just about photos, but it's also about like participating in this um, movement to change the way the internet looks and feels because, you know, that's that contact pool of the internet and that's where everybody's getting their images from. Super cool. And then I kind of want to talk about uh, like the usage rights part just a little bit, just because I know a lot of people when they're desperate for content, they just pull something right off Google, which is scary. Um, Can you kind of just talk about like why you should be aware of that and like why we should not be doing that? (laughs) Yeah, you have to be careful with it. So um, there are billions of dollars of lawsuits that happen from copyright infringement on Google. And What's really scary is it's not the size of your business. So you could just be literally like not even have a business and use that photo on a blog that you created. And the way that they search is they're back searching that photo. So you're going to get in trouble through using that, the back search of the photo, not the size of the business. And I have a friend that even had to screenshot his bank account by getting a letter from a photo that he used on Google. And it was like a really silly photo too. And, um, they wanted to find him thousands of dollars for using it. So he had to be like, I don't have money. This is my bank account. And then they finally left, they left him alone. So that's a lot of people think, Oh, I'm a small guy. So it doesn't affect me, but that's really how it works. Um, so that's why a lot of businesses will go to a, um, a stock site or, um, like even a free photo website. So there's sites like unsplash, which has billions of uh, visitors. I'm sure a lot of people listening use it. That is tricky because anyone that's in the photo hasn't said okay. So if that, if like say Abby and um, her friend were friends and she took a, sh- a photo of her and then they stopped being friends and then that photo started to be used everywhere, she, that friend might get, she might get um, like put a lawsuit out and be like, I don't want my photo to be used. And then you would have to take those down from your website or your advertisement or whatever. Um, Sometimes there's like logos and trademarks. So if you're using a photo and there's a Nike logo in it, Nike might also say, hey, you can't use that because there's Nike in my, lo- in my image. So that's where on Scopio, we'll say commercial use or editorial use. Editorial you can use to describe an event or situation and usually has logos and trademarks in it and is not authorized by the people in it. And then the commercial ones you can use for whatever. You can edit them, crop them. So what we did to just make this so much easier for people is that we included the, what they call extended license in their subscription. So that you can use this photo for whatever you want and you don't have to feel like you're going to be violating those terms. Like we have very um, loose terms for that because we're dealing with mostly small businesses, individuals that don't understand this, but the real experts in the space have been working like, the ones at the big publishers and the big brands, they have had that role for like 10, 20 years that they've been just doing those licenses and making sure that they're not violating them. So that's, um, 
that's where like you want to go and just know that that's all taken care of for you. So smart. And I think, yeah, people need to be more aware of that because no one is, oh, yeah. like I'm fine. Like, no, <laughs> like it's a big deal. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, free I photo just, sites are easier than Google. So if you have to choose, go to a free photo site work before going and taking it from Google. Totally love it. Those are, there's sometimes they're traps even like they I'm want scary. you to do that. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> Don't do it guys. Um, so I touched on it a little bit, but I want to dive into it just a little bit more. So kind of like who should be using stock photos? Like you talked about all like the different kinds of businesses that use your websites. And I think sometimes the people that are maybe like a really small business or even just like a single influencer think, oh, well, I have to go take that myself. If it is something like, I don't know, I live in Arizona, some cactus, like, oh, I have to go take it myself just because I, I'm not big enough to use stock imagery or I don't know what's out there. So can you kind of talk to the people that are more like weary of using stock imagery and how they can incorporate it into their business? Like, do you have to be a huge company to be using it? Yeah, so I think the, the more, um, the thing you want to ask is what you're using that photo for. So if you want to show that your creativity, you can use editing apps like Canva or Pixar or do editing on top of that image where it would just be, you know, totally different than the actual photo you get. So you can change the background with the cactus or if you wanted to add like, um, like dimensions around it, then that's your, that's your original art. So it doesn't really matter that it was a stock photo, um, but it had that look that you felt like. And we have that all the time. Like, for example, uh, somebody will have an Instagram account and they'll talk about um, Beverly Hills, then we'll use the images of the palm trees they get from Scopio, and then you can write um, whatever you wanted to say. So it just gets a better angle on it. Also, a lot of times you can edit that, cut them, and use multiple images together. So I think it's using all the tools is the hard part. It's not the photo that's the hard part or like resizing it and making it fit for you. Um, so a lot of businesses do that. Also, I really want to stress the importance of anybody that doesn't have a business. Your personal brand is very important. Like if you're trying to get a job and you're a student, like you need to have some sort of base to go from. So people are going to be looking you up on social media, whether, or if you're a small business and you're working on all these other things, social media or the, the brand that you have is so important. So you can, and I wouldn't overthink things. So you can start off with these um, like stock images, then you can start to get better editing them. And then once you know what you want to produce, then you can start to get better producing them. And then you will just keep, and it will like follow you and help you along the way. So it's less about worrying and it's more about just trying and doing and creating. That is so smart. I love that you mentioned like the college angle because sometimes when you are in that college state, you don't have that many like materials or resources. Oh, pictures of me doing this. And something yeah. I noticed, like this is a random specific, but something that a lot of the college students do struggle with is finding a LinkedIn header image. And yeah. so like a stock image would be perfect for that, especially if you could edit it a little, add your own flair. I think like that's a great option. And I think people don't realize, like I love your tips about like editing them to kind of fit your brand because it would save you so much time. Like if I'm going to get a same picture of a cactus that probably already exists, what I'm going to take hours out of my day to go take it. Whereas I could kind of just like edit it, add my little Pixar glitter on it and make it my own from like a stock image perspective. And it would have saved me hours. So I think that yeah. is great. Like everyone listen, <laughs> keep that in mind. <laughs> Seriously. And just try them and switch them out. And like, that's again, why it needs to be like easier to use photos that you don't have like a commitment to so that you can keep switching and trying different things. Definitely. You and can even like change the color on the sweatshirt. Like you can do a lot of things where nobody would even know. It's so true. I love it. And that's just saving us time because we're working women. We got places to be. <laughs> that's perfect. It's all about volume. You know, it's really about getting as much out. Like there's like, I, I love Gary Vaynerchuk. He says, put nine pieces of content out a day, you know? So yeah. it's, it's sitting there and waiting and waiting is not, um, is not great because then you're that much behind. Totally. Definitely. And Even when applying to jobs, like people use people that apply to work for me, they use presentation decks now. They don't even send me their resume and they'll have like three slides of beautiful photos. And then they'll say like, this is what I've done in my life. 
And I'm like, wow, this person was really great um, versus just having a resume. So it's just really about that personal branding and showing your, um, showing that you can use all these new modern tools. Definitely. I love that. And since you brought it up, I would love to talk about what you look for in people when you want to bring on people, like when people are applying to work for you. So uh, like, because I'm sure a lot of people are curious about how to get their foot in the door in like the tech space. So can you kind of talk about what you look for? Yeah. So I think tech is really tricky. I'm really surprised at how slow it's moving in terms of people coming into tech. It's like really male dominated. It's really like, I feel like old school still. And um, even if they are jumping in, they're going into like easier things like selling um, like, like brick and like brick and mortar products, like t-shirt companies, like shoe companies, thing, makeup, things that are like obvious, I think, especially ones that are like prototyped to being women experts, like women are good at fashion and beauty, but you know, women can be like good at AI because AI training has like been terrible for like, I have images where they're literally braid braids, like a male wearing braids and it's like tags them as a woman from the existing systems. It's just, there's so many places to add value. So I think it's thinking beyond the, the like immediate uh, things that you might be good at and working with your passions and really going into those in terms of tech. So I like people that like my favorite types of people that approach me, they've like researched the company, they have a specific story or something that they, something like they want to give me advice like oh by the way like i noticed this and i could really work on that instead of just kind of telling me what they've done in the past so it's like thinking forward and having that vision and i think that everyone needs to have like this entrepreneurial mindset especially for tech so you were coming in i want to know that you can like run pick up any sort of project and uh so that's the best way to um to go in your job otherwise you're gonna get keep getting pushed while you're in there if you're not just like always asking for things like always wanting more responsibility um and that's like that's where people don't ask i still don't understand why like you don't lose anything by asking and you even see this in salary negotiation it's like ask for something that you know is more than what you're you deserve and you'll get that and um and that's we're still so like so behind on that and i see that as an employer now and it really really upsets me because I'm like, people don't know their value and that's not fair. And, um, uh, especially young women. So I think it's the, it's good to start negotiating and practicing like even small things because we, it just, it's like not part of how we were trained usually. So I think learning how to negotiate anything, literally a bill at the table, um, a phone call like bill or whatever, just keep practicing, 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 practicing. And then you'll start to do that when you're applying to jobs and then when you're in the job and stuff. So it's a practice thing. It's that's all it is. I love it. There's that quote, uh, if you don't ask, the answer is always no. So I think yeah. that that's exactly what And you can saying. ask multiple times. Like you don't have to ask <laughs> once. You just ask seven times before you get it. Totally. I love that. I wanted to dive into the diversity side of things. So can you just explain why having imagery that's diverse uh, is so important for companies these days? Because I think sometimes either people don't realize their imagery isn't diverse or they're not like showing off a diverse audience or they just don't realize where they can get access to those images. So can you kind of talk about how companies can be more inclusive and why that's important? Yeah, I, th- I think we've come to the point where everybody wants it but they don't know how to get it. And um, so that's, that's what Scopio is bringing to the table and what so many businesses are trying to work towards in every industry. Um, so it's really about you taking the, the research and going and finding what you need. Um, so I, yeah, I don't think that people are unaware now. Um, there's nothing more exciting than using somebody that's like promoting something that's moving forward and growing. Like, for example, I saw the statistics on uh, like black women entrepreneurs that have raised venture capital funding. It's like, I think I'm going to get the number wrong, but it's like 20 women ever have raised venture capital funding, black women. And if you think about it, like that's insane. 
So, so that's like, it's really like the funds in this scenario that should go out and find these opportunities and the people that are, have these businesses, they just need access. So it's really just like an access and like matchmaking, I think experience because no one idea is better than the other. And you know, there's so many markets and there's so much, like there's so much ability to have multiple businesses trying to solve the same problem. That's, you know, it's so, so that's where um, I think the issues really lie is just invisibility and people really doing that hard work. They don't want, they don't, you know, they don't want to. So some of these bigger businesses, they have quotas that they have to do for diversity um, and inclusion programs. So if they don't spend a certain amount of money on diverse businesses, then they'll like lose their ranking. So these are like the bigger ones like Coca-Cola and Procter and Gamble. So that's how they've added it within the company to, for you to, as an incentive to go out and find vendors that have businesses like that woman owned businesses. And then I think always like people at work when I'm going and selling or my team is selling, if they just like recognize, okay, this is a like female founder or um, she's selling like diversity. And I really like the mission of this business. Keep that in mind for when you have an opportunity to hire somebody like, like that because you might not be the boss, but you can always bring it up in conversation and then remember that like in six months, one year, and then you can support that business and then that business can grow. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's yeah. like, it's most people think, oh, that's really cool. Or like when I meet people all the time that are like, wow, like great job at what you're doing. But then it's like, okay, so like buy something, you know? Yeah. And, um, and help, help these businesses grow. Same thing as when you have, you know, if you meet somebody that has a cool product or idea and you can go and support them and then you can talk about that too. So there's a lot of ways that we, we can take personal responsibility within companies as making that choice. Like you, like if you're working at your magazine and you have an article, you have like, you can write about anybody. Why don't, why not write about um, somebody that you really know that you can help, you know, it's yeah, tangential, but I think that point is like so important. Um, that personal responsibility piece that we have. Yeah, definitely. I like that you mentioned that. You mentioned pitching earlier and like seed funding. And I know sometimes pitching is something that people struggle with. And I don't know if we talk about it too much. So do you have any tips or tricks or stuff that has helped you with like business pitches? Yeah. Practice, practice, <laughs> practice, 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 practice presenting, practice talking, practice being that same idea over and over again um, and presenting it. I think just keep talking, like keep trying. Um, and then it's really hard. I remember one of my presentations, I practiced for like four days in a row, a like one minute presentation. And it's all I did for four days. And I was up in front of like a thousand people. And at halfway through, I was like, I think I got it. I'll be fine. And then I was like, no, because I can't, you can't improvise your personality. You're just memorize the thing. So it takes you a long time to actually even just remember what you have to say. And then it takes you half the time after that to perfect the way you want um, to come off and um, how you can really bring your personality out. And that's like this, it's so hard because in the beginning you become stiff and you know what you want to say and you say it and then they're like but then you lose your personality so i think it takes years before you can get both of those together and i'm sure you feel the same way when you're talking um with people so i think it's yeah it's a matter of practice just like the negotiation thing it's just you have to do it enough times definitely and i or think see enough people talk to enough people like if somebody doesn't yeah. like it, like go to the next person. Definitely. And I like that you mentioned like that you just will keep getting better because I think sometimes we put pressure on ourselves like, oh man, my first pitch or my first interview, like what was that? But like, yeah. you just keep doing it. You will get better. So you can't like judge your first one and think that's how you're going to be the rest of the way. Yeah. And always ask for feedback too. So if it's appropriate, then say like, how could I have improved? Or even watch yourself if you can, if it's like a video, you can watch yourself and improve that way too. That's, I love that. Just Super smart. Don't, don't feel like it's a personal attack. It's just the, the name of the game. Mm -hmm, definitely. And okay. So I am always fascinated by people that 
can build something out of nothing and it's just like it, it can turn into something great. And I know that even like running a podcast some days, I'm just like, man, like, why am I doing this? <laughs> but like, then you like come back to your mission and like, you're like, oh yeah. And you get like all jazzed up again. But, um, have you ever wanted to quit and why didn't you like, why, like, why, like, what's that determination? Like, tell us about like that word that determination, where does it come from? Yeah, it's so weird. Like, I wish I had an answer for you because it's just like, you don't, sometimes you don't know what, what's going on or why you're doing it. Especially when I was in like, I'm going to build a business. I was like, I love like images online and I want to help. Um, so I think number one, the most, the, the most thing for me is all the like small wins that you have. So I've, I probably almost failed like six times, like fully failed like six times, like maybe even more than that. It gets really scary at some points because you could go like up and then you go all the way down and you go up and you go all the way down. And then you think of things like, I haven't come this far to just come this far. So then you see all your little wins, like whether it's my investors and I'm like, these people really believed in me. And you know, like 2% of women receive venture capital. I've already gotten people to believe in me. And even if they're small, you know, small things or small wins, or I have this customer, or I have something that reminds you like, okay, you're already farther along than you think. Like, for example, if you have a podcast, I already have 15 podcast episodes. Okay. I've already interviewed 15 amazing people. So you have to tell yourself that. And then you also have to like, not be, this is, I think really important, not be in love with your product. So for you not be in love with your podcast, but you being in love with the mission of giving information, free information to people. So for me, it's like, my passion is changing the, the way people see the world through the images that we produce, that we create. And then I'm like, every website on the planet is going to have my photos one day. So I'm like, that is what I care about, not the fact that I have a photo marketplace where people buy photos. So that when you become attached to your product, then if anything happens with it, then you become like totally depressed and you can't function. So you have to really care about the, the, the whole industry and, and then becoming that, go growing into that role. But honestly, it's very hard. And especially people that are starting that don't have money, like money is a very big problem for a lot of people, especially entrepreneurs. So that what you have to change what you care about, you know, change where you get your sources of um, confidence from, because you're not going to go out shopping and get feel better. <laughs> like most people do, you're going to have to feel inspired in different ways. And then the last thing I'll say is in your community. So having other business owners, having other people that are doing things. So, so like you can kind of fault, like measure yourself with them. Like, Oh, this person just, you know, for me, I have like friends, they've raised like 10, say they just raised $10 million. I'm like, Oh my God, like this is my friend. We started together, you know? And, and then you, you don't need all those other sources of negativity. You can just focus on the people that are doing well that you're really excited about. Or it could be like, I have a friend that has fed thousands of people in DC now with his company um, during Corona. So I'm like, wow, that's inspiring too. So it's that when you feel like really low, you should go to like a networking event or like a group thing where people are talking about their businesses that immediately, or like even a video online of uh, somebody that you admire, like Sarah Blakely, for example, from Spix, she's always great just to watch her videos and you're like, okay, I know, like I can keep going. So um, they don't even need to know that you exist like, and they could be your mentors. I love that. Okay. That like the golden, like everyone <laughs> re-listen to that. That was perfect. I'm so like, I'm like, yes. So inspired. Um, and I love Sarah Blakely too. She's so cool. <laughs> Last, or actually two questions before we head into rapid fire. One, I wanted to talk about the Forbes 30 under 30 in media. That's super cool. So how did that Thank come you. about? Is that like a surprise or do you know it's going to happen? Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, that was one of the best days ever that we've had. Uh, it was a surprise to us we knew that we were nominated but we didn't know who nominated us and apparently it's like this huge thing where like people like pull all their connections to get nominated and we just didn't know anyone and then we found out that we were chosen by like don lemon from cnn and, and like a few other, the founder of vox a few other people and we we're like well, how did we get here this is amazing 
And so we don't know, but we filled out the application when we got nominated. And then they told us that a Forbes editor nominated us and we've never been on Forbes. So I don't know why a Forbes editor would know about us. And it's so amazing. It's actually really funny because my business partner got it and I missed it by one year. And they're like, we wanted to give it to Christina, but we're, I'm a year late. And I was like, you know what? Every time somebody asks me this, I'm going to say, you should have started your business one year earlier. <laughs> like I started it, I was like 25, I think. And I was like, ah, you know, I should have been an entrepreneur earlier. But, but it's for Scopio. So I yeah. under, like, I'm so excited about it. Um, and yeah, it's, it's amazing. And, uh, and it's funny too, because when I first started my business, I remember somebody telling me once, I didn't even have anything. It wasn't even like I had a product at the time. And he's like, I know I'm going to see you on Forbes one day. And I was like, yeah, right. Like I'm right. It was just like a protest photo site. And then when I got on it, I like remembered what he said. And I was like, well, I guess things do come true. So just keep working and you'll be surprised where it takes you. Love it. Love a full circle moment. <laughs> yeah. Um, it happens. It's like yes. people don't, people think that, oh, that will never happen to me, mm -hmm. but I'm like living proof that it can happen to you. So awesome. Last question before we head into rapid fire. Biggest learning lesson as a founder and CEO? Uh, how much you have to learn every day. It's like it's so much knowledge that you just need to constantly be learning and educating yourself. You have to know everything. Like I didn't realize like how much I would have to learn all the time. So just consume, talk to people, read things, watch things. That's the only way you're going to improve and like get things done. Love it. Especially in tech. Oh, I bet. Things change so fast. Awesome. Okay, perfect. Okay, so are you ready for the rapid fire round? Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> awesome. Okay, so first thing that comes to mind, and you can elaborate on it too, like if you want to share some background. Okay, so we'll start with an easy one. Morning person or night owl? Morning person. My day is not complete without? Working out. Okay, so this one's a little bit more specific to you. Favorite image you've seen on Scopio? Oh, uh, that's tough. I know, I'm sorry. Um, my favorite image? I'll have to say my favorite image is last summer we did a photo shoot in Jerusalem with Canva, the photo editing site. So we actually did a collaboration and we took images in this uh, tattoo artist's home in East Jerusalem. So we were like in her house. And you should check them out on our website. So she has a photo with her and her cat and she's drawing and she's like a real life artist. And I love that image. And I love that experience. That is awesome. Uh, <laughs> I have blank at my desk always. Tea, big tea drinker. I stopped drinking coffee like a year and a half ago. Um, favorite book, resource, podcast, what, something that has inspired you and has had an impact on you that you'd want to share? I'll put two. First is Gary Vaynerchuk. Listen to him all the time. He is, I joke and say that he's my dad to people. <laughs> and then, uh, or my father. And then um, I love uh, Huda Katan, the founder of Huda Beauty. She has awesome videos and she's super funny because she works with her family. So uh, she's a self-made billionaire and I watch her stuff all the time. I love both of those resources. Awesome. And then last one, I'm inspired by? People like you that start their own thing and then go out and, and tell like information givers. I like, I'm inspired by people that give out information. Awesome. <laughs> yes. Awesome. Love it. Okay. So where can we follow you, follow Scopio, all that good stuff? Um, so you can follow us at Scopio Images on Instagram and the website is scop.io. stands for scope it out. Come visit us, browse around or submit photos. Awesome. Perfect. Thank you so much. Thanks, Abby. Thank you so much for listening to that episode. I hope you enjoyed Christina's conversation as much as I did. Super, super inspiring. And for my Friday favorite, before we go, I finally got a ring light. And that is my Friday favorite this week. I got it off Amazon. It's by the, a company called UBZ, I think is how you say it. But I got a ring light. It wasn't that expensive. I think it was like 50 bucks. I put it on one of a different tripod I already had and it is good to go. And you could definitely use the tripod it came with. I just had a good, like a better one. So I put it on there. But a ring light really changes everything. So if you don't have have one, I definitely recommend checking it out because 
it is a great time and really improves the quality of your photos and videos. So I'm super excited. There will be a lot of video content coming from me and the Working Girl Talk account coming soon on Instagram. So super excited about that. And with that, if anything resonated with you today, if you liked Christina's story or think anything she said would be of value to someone, please share the podcast. Just click that copy link button, send it to a friend, send it their way. Give them some inspo on this Friday or whatever day you're listening to it. And if you haven't already, please review the podcast podcast give us a review and just that really helps the podcast get seen by more people and it helps me know if you like what's going on so thank you so so much I will talk to you next week